not a lot of songs in these movies. Yeah, except, of course, the theme song to Adventures in Babysitting. Take it away! Adventures in Babysitting. I have these responsibilities for these children, but I'm probably not related to them. I'm probably being compensated for my time in one way or another, usually in currency. I love a movie that has the cojones (laughs) to find an A-rhyming song. Just, I'm just perfect. Gonna, just free verse. Was it a nursery rhyme? I don't need to rhyme. <laughs> nursery rhymes, you have to because it's in the title. You got to rhyme. Hey, welcome to Your Inner Child is an Idiot. This is the podcast where we look back on things from our childhood and see if they're any good. My name is DJ. This is Damon over here. Hi. Hello. Businesslike. <laughs> Today, we're talking about adventures in babysitting, which is a classic. I want to say film, um, starring Elizabeth Shue. You're doing great. Keep it up. And children, including Kevin Spacey accuser Anthony Rapp. <gasps> uh oh, what space fun! I don't think I've ever. I might have seen this movie, but I have no memory of it. Does one of the kids like want to dress up like a superhero all the time? Is that a thing? I have to tell you, I've never seen this movie either. Ooh, this is going to be rough. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to talk instead about Elizabeth Shue in Back to the Future 2 and 3? No, I'd rather talk about Elizabeth Shue in Soap Dish, um, but I can talk about her in Back to the Future 2 and 3, but notably absent in 1. I do know that this movie, Adventures in Babysitting, um, and Soap Dish, if I'm being honest, uh, were one of my brother's favorites. Um in the shoe anthology. Uh, <laughs> and from everything I know about it, even though I've never seen no, sorry, it all the way through. I, I, I like to call it the shoe <laughs> <laughs> The repertoire shoe. Did I do it good too? Yeah, you did. Good job, buddy. <laughs> um, I think I've seen the first maybe 10 minutes of this movie a hundred times and no movie past that. Anything past mm. the 11 minute mark. I don't know. I don't know why. I feel like my brother would sit down to watch it and I would spitefully leave the room, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's, it's one of those, uh, road movies that gets steadily more insane as it goes on. So I think she has to take the kids out into Chicago and eventually like, I think they end up in crazier and crazier loca- locations. Mm. I feel like I get this movie and don't tell mom the babysitter's dead, which we've established in that episode that I love that movie. Um, and then also, What's the one mom and dad save the world or whatever? Uh, yes, that's a movie. I get, I don't, for some reason I get that one and this one. Confused. Wait, I just want to be absolutely sure you confuse two movies you haven't seen with a movie you loved from your childhood. You confuse them all the time. <laughs> Not, I think I've, I think that if I've seen this movie, it was only once and very soon after it came out. And so therefore it begins to conflate in my head with things that I have seen more recently. Uh, okay. Look, I'm looking for something to say because I don't remember. I appreciate that. Um, 
have you seen Hamlet 2? Speaking of the Shuvra? No. Elizabeth Shue plays herself in that, but she's retired from acting, and Steve Coogan's character is her biggest fan and thinks she's like the pinnacle of of the of the art of theater. And so he like hunts her down to be in his God. his play, Hamlet 2. Who else who else is in this? Anybody? I tried to look it up. There's literally uh no one else I recognize. So I think you're uh, gonna love it. I'm just I usually don't look up things but ahead of time because I like to go in fresh, but uh you like to go in fresh like uh like Frank Costanza. Vincent D'Onofrio. Also directed by Chris Columbus, his directorial debut. So you're gonna love this for sure. <laughs> as a as a Columbo head. Bradley you know, Whitford is in this. Ooh, I do like some Bradley Whitford. Albert yeah. Collins, his picture, he's holding a guitar. Do you know him? Yeah. He's your guitarist. Why is Albert Collins in this? Hey, what am I supposed to, what am I, IMDB over here? He uh, had always had like cold or ice themed songs. They were like instrumentals, but all of his always. Like, oh, I see. Like a lot of them were like Iceman or whatever. Stormy Monday, Too Many Dirty Dishes, Ice Pickin'. I, well, his albums are Ice Pickin', Ice Man, Cold Snap. Brief cameos. Oh, he's a brief cameo by Albert Collins. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm deep into the cast list at this point. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know if we should. Should we not do this one? <laughs> no, we should do it. Okay. All right. Because a lot of people do love this movie. We just... Uh, I think this was bigger. This was bigger than... Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Oh, absolutely. And I think for people just and not even that much older than us, just a hair older than us, this is a big movie. Well, I'll tell you what. Please. We're gonna watch Adventures in Babysitting right now. So you can watch along with us if you'd like. And we'll uh we'll we'll come back and we'll talk about it. How about that? It's almost like the premise of this show. That sounds like a really good plan. It's not available on Hulu, apparently. So uh it is available on Hulu. It's what the internet tells me. Look, we're all we're all at babysitters of different ways, right? Some of us babysit babies. Some of us babysit uh, ourselves. Some of us <laughs> babysit. Our own children, which is not babysitting for anyone. Neither is babysitting yourself. That's just sort of living, just continuing to live. Okay, fair. Uh, but it's we almost all, like only babysitting is babysitting. But look, we all need a little scratch, you know? Sometimes you got to work. <laughs> sometimes you got to work for that uh, Yahoo money, you know? Sorry, you got to work for that YooHoo money, not Yahoo money. Yeah. Don't do the Yahoo. If you're if you've got Yahoo money, especially if if you invested in 1987 when Adventures in Babysitting came out, like don't don't worry about it. First off, don't take babysitting gigs anymore. Yeah, you can buy your own popsicles. You don't have to wait until Mrs. Johansson gives you two free popsicles a night, as long as you keep Sarah alive. But we need we need Yahoo money too. So why don't you hop on Patreon.com/slash Your Child is an Idiot. Uh, and uh, if you can, if you can, if you don't have anything more important to spend your money on in these times, you can support the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. We don't care if you don't do it, but we really, appreciate, <laughs> we really appreciate it if you do. And, uh, we're grateful for, for anything you can send our way. <sighs> Is that bad? Was that a bad one? You know what I liked about it? 
What? Your confidence in the message. Yeah. That's what I like. We we watched Adventures in Babysitting. Damon watched it twice, I guess. Yeah, there's no reason to say I guess I did. Okay. Well, I was I I knew you were mid rewatch when we were texting about it. So I would like to take this recap because I think I can do it real quick, and then we can get into it because this is going to take a minute. Hey, by all means, uh, whenever someone takes that chance to to do the recap, I always welcome it. Elizabeth Shue is a young babysitter. She gets tasked to babysit some kids. Uh, through a series of misadventures, they find themselves in the city, which is Chicago. Their their lives are endangered. There's lots of adventures that they have. Mm-hmm. They make some new friends. They make some new enemies. They come out clean on the other side and uh, make it back. And uh, those are their many adventures in babysitting. And uh, Chris Columbus's feature film debut as a director. Wow, that was like a, a Homeric poem. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's get into it. Okay. Yeah. You, uh, I, 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 am a little nervous. I'm a little intimidated. I won't lie because you texted me while you were watching and said, I have a lot of thoughts <laughs> and I, I was concerned cause I didn't have many thoughts. Okay. So okay. now I'm nervous, intimidated. I feel like a, a welterweight <laughs> coming into this note wise. Do you feel like um, someone going into like a hard-hitting interview like I'm about to... Yeah, I feel like I've cheated on my wife. I'm a high-profile politician, and I know Barbara Walters has some questions for me that are going to be uncomfortable, but... Because this is 1987. This is actually... Pr- I didn't realize that I, this was before Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, because we've also got Kenny. Young. We do. I didn't even realize that until my second rewatch that it was the same fucking kid from you the previous. Realize movie. that I had no. All I could do was I was we like, about that kid, <laughs> that kid looks familiar. Don't know what he's from. This is a fun difference between you and me because I often edit the show. Like I hear, not only do I hear it the first time when we're having a conversation, but you just get to walk on, move on with your life. You forget everything that we've said. I can't even remember the name of this show. I come back and I've listened to it like four and you're like, you remember you said it in that exact same cadence. (laughs) (laughs) That does sound like me. Um, What an asshole. We open on Elizabeth Shue just being cute. We get some, uh, she's just dancing around. I figured that, uh, I feel like um, you hadn't said anything explicit, but I feel like uh, I could have put money on whether Elizabeth Shue was in your wheelhouse, your girl wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, yeah, she seems like he's, she's oh, in, yeah. in his wheelhouse. She wasn't like like a, a thing for me, like like a, a formative uh, thing. Formative. But- I like that term, formative thing. Yeah, that's, how, that's, that's okay, sorry. That's... <laughs> That's dehumanizing, and I don't mean it that way. I just mean... Oh, like, that's not what I meant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess it is dehumanizing. But uh, I just meant, uh, you know, when when people say, oh, yeah, she was a formative thing. I say as if anyone's ever said that. Um, <laughs> she was a formative thing for me. I'm like, yeah, you, you had the hots for her. You masturbated right. to her. Yeah. I think maybe that it was only because the age range, like the age was not quite right. Man, was a little bit closer. Like she was a little bit older than me, but not like... Elizabeth Shue was like, her peak was a little bit early. I mean, Back to the Future. And she also was not in the zeitgeist like Christina Applegate was. 
Right. Yeah. Because she had this. She was in Back to the Future, and then but only two thirds of Back to the Future. Right. Yeah. Two and three, and then and of course Soap Dish, which all straight boys love. I've still never seen that. <laughs> uh, but she, uh, yeah, um, she's very cute. She's dancing around to, and then he kissed me, and she's doing actually must she must have some dance training. She's like doing some like serious pirouetting, and. Oh. Uh, and then, like pretending the curtain is a veil, it's it's a it was very cute. I will say, of uh, the soundtrack of this movie is, I feel like it it must be very informed by Chris Columbus's childhood. I I'd have to assume there's a lot of sixties uh, and sixties yeah. sort of doo wop songs in here. Well, yeah. maybe not doo wop, but that's that song. Um, Twenty five miles to go is on here. Yeah, uh, both in the beginning and the climax. Bring Better used in the climax. Yeah, a um, lot of a uh, lot of fun songs like that. I'm like, this doesn't seem like the soundtrack of a 1980s youth. This seems like the soundtrack of a 1960s youth directing 80s youth. Right. Yeah. We also got a, a a a very young but not appropriately young Bradley Whitford, which I did not realize would happen. <laughs> uh, he plays Tyler her, and I were. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, he plays her boyfriend at the beginning of the movie. Right. Um, and Tyler and I were debating whether Elizabeth Shue was a convincing 17 year old. And I came on the side of, yeah, I think in the eighties, 17 year olds look like what I think of as 40 year olds. Right. Yeah. Um, and, but Bradley Whitford in no universe, did anyone think that that was a 17 or 18 year old boy? Yeah. Cause he's supposed to be like the, like a, a jockish. He's got an IROC Z that says so cool on the license plate, <laughs> which apparently according to IMDb trivia, Asterix. Uh <laughs> had that license plate, which is crazy. Um that is ludicrous. But he is like I think he was like late 20s, like 28. Yeah, he he has the telltale uh neck crease. Not I wouldn't say it's a wrinkle, but it's like a yeah. neck crease that just teenagers don't have because they haven't creased their neck that much. When, teenagers yeah. notably never look down, <laughs> so they never have wrinkles on their necks. When he has like, you know, even and he's they, balding. Yeah, he's already got the 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 uh, what do you call this widow speak? Is that what that is? When yeah, uh, yeah. and he, I mean, the like Jack Nicholson, he's a kind of boyish kind of guy, except for that. But like, even yeah. in, even in West Wing, a few years later, well, several years later, like what, like twelve years later, he's still like young looking for his age, except for the receding hairline, right? But there, yeah. he's playing like in his late twenties, early thirties, like uh, you know, presidential speechwriter or whatever and then of um, course in get out he's also uh, playing well. he, oh, here he, we go he's the deputy chief of staff thank you very much my apologies um, um Penelope Ann Miller is in here who's that she uh is her friend Brenda who who go her panicky maybe histrionic friend uh Brenda who runs away from home yes Penelope Ann Miller was known for being in of course the biggest hit of the 90s the shadow starring Alec Baldwin Tim Curry oh. Peter Boyle, uh, big hit. Um, she was also in, she's in uh, Riverdale, so fuck you. I never have seen that, but I did used to read the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series that was on Archie Comics label, so. <laughs> Understandable. She was in Chaplin. Chaplin! Uh, she was in Awakenings. Hmm, Kindergarten Cop. Kindergarten Cop. Okay. I think she that plays the <laughs> she plays the mother of the boy who like 
I don't know, is the son of a mobster, whatever the fuck that movie is about. And this has been IMDb Corner with... (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember... Of course. Oh, here's one. She's in Adventures in Babysitting. She played Brenda. (laughs) Do you remember when you had to go to someone's house to break the news to them that you weren't going to take them on a date? You go to their house to tell them you're not (laughs) going to take them on a date. Bradley Whitford shows up. It's like their anniversary or something. They're supposed to go out to dinner in the city. And uh, she's all dolled up and he just comes over and the the camera pans up from his dirty shoes. He's clearly not dressed for the occasion. He's and, inside out sweatshirt. And he's calling it off. His little sister's sick. He's got to stay home and babysit. But do you remember that? You have to like, you're just going to show up. It, this is important. This is too important for even a phone call. It's I, the right thing to do. He's a gentleman. They have no idea you're coming. I'm just going (laughs) to go to your house. It's extra nightmarish now, but even pre-virus times, like (laughs) I'm just going to come to your house. Just well, he's supposed to be picking her up for the date anyway. That's true. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, I do like the idea. This is a trope in movies and. It's it's kind of like Kevin Costner putting on his wet pants. I'm like, no one actually does this. No one in high school is going to fancy French restaurants. No one is doing this. Uh, excuse me. Uh, oh, lay it on me, please. L'Auberge, which was the <laughs> fancy French restaurant in Dayton. I think maybe it still exists. I don't know. Um, that was like if you were if you were going for real. If you're going on a fancy date, that's where you would go. I think. What I'm- fancy dates are people going on? Look, if you're trying to impress and you want to go fancy when you're in high, late high school. I've now, L'Auberge is French for the barge. For the barge. For the auberge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my apologies to suburban kids everywhere. I just didn't think you had the means or the opportunities to go to fancy French restaurants left, right, and center. Well, I accept your apology Thank on behalf you. of the fine people of Dayton, Ohio. um so that's so brenda eventually runs away after uh Uh, update uh not only is lobear's clothes lobear's has been knocked over it has been demolished with a wrecking ball (laughs) it's the most closed you can't get more closed so eventually um after right after her her canceled anniversary date um, yeah. she gets a babysitting gig. Lucky her. Yeah. Um, she doesn't want to, it, but she to, takes it. To watch over Sarah, a girl we presumably she's watched before. Um, and, uh, while she's there and right before Brad, is that his name? Brad? Yes. That's Brad Ken, is supposed Ken. to be sleeping over at Daryl's house right before he's about to leave. Uh, she gets a call from Brenda who's run away from home and she's stranded at the Greyhound bus station. By the way, you got to mention Sarah, the little girl, is also in her little cute little... She loves Right, Thor. well, we can go over the kids. So we got yeah. Sarah, who's um, sort of tomboyish. She loves Thor, the comic book, a then-obscure comic book character. Yes. Um, and she's got a little Thor uh, helmet. She's kind of dressed in red. She's got, like, she kind of dressed like him. Not like a Thor costume other than the helmet and the... But her, she's yeah. color-coded to yes, match Thor. Exactly, yeah. She has a red jacket on. She's sort of got a bluish sweater. It looks very Thorish. Yes. Um, you got Brad, who is um, not so secretly in love with um, Elizabeth Shue's character. He's got a crush on her. And then Daryl, who is insufferable. 
He's the uh, Kimmy from Full House neighbor. Unless the oh, he's neighbor. absolutely terrible. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't tell if I hated him because Anthony Rapp seems like one of those precocious theater kids that I hate, and it was coming through in his performance, or if his character was insufferable. I think it was both. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but eventually, um, when they get this call, they sort of twist Chris's arm because she's in a pinch and they all go to Chicago to rescue Brenda right away. Mm-hmm. And that's when the hijinks begin. That is when it all shit goes down. Let's just say that. So let's, so let's talk about, um, this is the vision of a city purely from a suburban standpoint. Yes. Like this is every nightmare your parents told you about the city. Um, I, and part of it is like colored by, Cities in the eighties right. cities were rife with crime. And I'm sure everyone comes here to listen to, um, talk about, you know, stop and frisk and, and broken windows, uh, policing. But, uh, at the time cities had a bad reputation. New York was a crime infested cesspool, like it or lump it. And, uh, things weren't clean and the suburbs were having a, a high point in their career. What? <laughs> and <laughs> Halcyon days for suburbs. Right. And this movie has a very John Hughes quality, probably because it's based in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, you feel like the McAllisters are just down the road from Elizabeth Shue. So it's a very like upper crust. You actually see Ferris Bueller jump over the screen at one point. We're trying to run. <laughs> you see home Ferris Bueller, uh, uh, Sean Penn skateboards by Harry and Marv drive by in their plumbing van. It's a great time had by all. Um, but when you get to the city, it's so ludicrous, um, that I was a little into it. I was like, okay, if we're just going <laughs> to throw the fucking book out the window yeah. or the playboy, as it were, um, I'm fine with that. The first person they get a flat tire on the expressway. And the first person they encounter is a hook handed man who cannot stop laughing at them, who walks up whistling, um, and scares the shit out of them. They've just been, telling, he, she had just been telling them a scary story about a hook handed, a hook handed man. Um, he won't stop. He won't stop whistling. He won't stop laughing. He's, a little bit terrifying, but he seems good hearted. He is a tow truck who pulls over right behind a disabled car. I mean, what else? Hey, he knows where his bread is buttered. Yeah. What he else? Probably shot their fucking tire. What do you fucking kids want? <laughs> but he is also very. I wrote, the, I wrote that the truck driver has a joy de vivre. That's true. Um, and the minute they get into his truck, um, He's sort of joking around with them, and then uh, he gets a call when um, from his dispatcher who's like, hey, I was driving past your house, and essentially your wife is sleeping with that guy again. And then the guy goes crazy, pulls a gun out of his glove compartment, and uh, drives to shoot up his, his wife's lover. This movie has, uh, in, in sort of in line with um, the suburban view of the city, Every black person in this movie is either a car thief or a blues musician. It's the most ludicrous thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm surprised they didn't run into the Chicago Bulls while they were in yeah. the city. Yeah, this. Um, I mean, well, I, I want to kind of get to this later, but there's a 
I have, oh, we're talking about it now. I actually have a checklist of of taboo things that uh, happen in this. I see rape is checked off, yeah. which I can confirm. Yeah, from my two viewings, it's two different kinds actually. Um, it doesn't do great. Um, and the, so the first uh, black guy they meet is is Joe, who's actively stealing the car that they jump into, which is the. They escape from the tow truck into the a lover of the tow truck driver's wife. Yeah, his waiting car. And that car's being hijacked the minute they, they get, is currently in the process of being hijacked. And they just kind of go with it. They don't even like try to get out. He's just like, looks at them and then starts the car and drives he away. He starts the car anyway. Well, because they're being the 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 lover, the the guy, the owner of yes. the car is like slamming on the side of the, his blood streaming down his face and slamming on the side of the window, so the guy just hijacks it anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty like immediately uh, racist, and then uh, he takes them to the chop shop. That's the term I was looking for. Where he, yeah, where Bush. By the way, I, I, I called it the ca- car laundering facility. Yes, well, you're not wrong. <laughs> But just also usually not all sparks all the time. Like, <laughs> I love Tyler said it was like a car wash. They literally open the garage door and there's just sparks coming from either side of the garage door. Seems dangerous. You know, I'm not I'm not OSHA or anything, but it just seems like a bad place to be working. But I'll tell you what, at this chop shop, they do have very strict working hours. It's apparently, <laughs> it's apparently unionized because right as they get there, one of the, like the, the second highest boss guy who, another black man who, who's like, all right, quitting time, everybody. He and everybody, even says it's quitting time at Tara, which is a weird, what is that? uh, gone with the wind reference. Oh. So it's also another level of weird racism, like running through this. The black man says it's quitting time at Tara, which is, I think the first spoken line in Gone with the Wind, spoken by the 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 head slave on the field. But you know, I'm glad. Um, you know, power to them for for unionizing. You know, they got. <laughs> hey, you know the the workers' flag is deepest red, colored by our martyred dead. We don't we don't work a second past 10 p.m. Okay. <laughs> I got kids to go home to. They don't. They have to put them in bed by two in the morning. <laughs> I want to have some time, have dinner at 11. Doesn't seem like a good, you know, schedule for them because you're going to be hijacking most of the cars in the middle of the night, I would think. You know, that's a good time for crime. Mm-hmm. Like, bring it in and all those guys are going to be asleep in their beds. They can't chop in the shop. Before, but before we move on in the story, we got to recognize that we also had a flash, uh, flash sideways to our friend Brenda, who is at the bus station. She ran away from home as she kind of like hinted that she was unhappy, but that was, that was about it. We, I, we didn't really get that that was going to happen. And so that, right. But that was the reason that they're, they've gone into the city, but we're kind of, we check in with Brenda just every once in a while. And it is bonkers at this bus station. Well, she, I mean, part of it is Brenda herself. She's a bit histrionic. Yes. Um, I think she's just panicking cause she doesn't know where she is, but she also seems like a little bit, um, of a drama queen, maybe. Yes. But this is when I wrote down a lot of black people stealing in this movie because she sits down next to a woman, um, puts her glasses down, and that woman immediately steals Brenda's glasses. Her prescription glasses. (laughs) Um, So, uh, and that woman, of course, is another black person. So we've had three so far, two who work at a chop shop, car laundrette, and one who is just a bag woman stealing prescription glasses. Yeah. And we also get like a homeless then, guy is like trying to live in the phone booth and he's like, just like, I need my, 
my slippers are in there with you. She like, <laughs> wants to, I mean, he says, get out of my house, but like, it seems like he just wants his stuff. And then she eventually throws it out and just like, well, you just moved. <laughs> um, I also liked about Brenda that, um, the woman who stole her glasses replaced them in a very clever sleight of hand with her sunglasses. So she yeah. put down non-prescription sunglasses. So like sort of like uh, Indiana Jones switching the golden idol for the bag of sand, just like whoosh, the girl never figured this out. Brenda puts on the sunglasses and rather than thinking, these aren't my glasses, she thinks I am blind. Yeah. <laughs> she immediately goes to that, to that level. And then she picks up a sewer rat thinking it's a kitten that's lost in the bus stop. She, I wrote down, do I love Brenda? And I think my answer is yes. I kind of wanted to, but it was like, not quite there. Like I, I want, I love that like ridiculous over the top character, but like the sort of like, the way she treats everybody <laughs> kind of like made soured it a bit for me. Cause like, she, I don't think I loved her in that. I wanted to hang out with her, but right. I enjoyed her. Her story was, I think the pitch that I thought this movie was going to be at the entire time where just things keep getting crazier and crazier. Right. Um, but her story, I don't know, felt like it matched the ludicrousness of the, the plot beats of the, the main story. Um, her character just seemed the cartoony person that belongs in this cartoony story. Yes. Yeah. And she, yeah, there's also like a guy with a gun just who just like keep, which I thought was her just being ludicrous, but then we see him later. Yeah. He's just literally just keeps showing her a gun. Let's yeah. It seems like one of those things where it would be like the, the way that someone exaggerates things in their mind. Like, you know, this guy keeps flashing a gun. This guy keeps saying he's living in here when in real life, the guy is just like holding his hand in his pocket and the guy just like, want something from inside the phone booth or wants to use the phone, you know, but no, these are things that are really happening because the city is a garbage place. No one should with garbage people. Thing. Yeah. So let's talk about more of the people of color in Chicago in ba- adventures of babysitting. Yeah. Um, later on when they've escaped, uh, so they've escaped the chop shop. Um, they end up on a blues musician stage. That is Albert Collins. where, Albert Collins. And they sing uh, the Babysitter Blues, which is a charming, Whoa. but maybe perhaps misguided moment in the movie. Um, and then I, later I, on... I, I'm not going to let you just... We're, no, I want to come back to it, but I I'm, I just want to go through this the, this catalog of characters. Okay. Um, and then we also get stuck on a train car with the Jets and the Sharks, for Christ's sake. Yeah, the most... Uh, two Latino gangs. The most beat um, music video... <laughs> it's like it's so straight it laps around to gayness again um oh no who are gonna have like a knife fight in the what'd you say oh no street toughs i wrote <laughs> i wrote when you're a jet same um who are going to have a knife fight on a uh subway car or l train car as we say in chicago <laughs> our trains are above ground and our pizza is a cake <laughs> Listen, I like Chicago style pizza. Not like it's not a company. because I want to eat half a slice of pizza and be done for the rest oh, of the yeah. year. I <laughs> but yes, let's go back to Albert Collins okay. and the babysitting blues. This might take a minute. <laughs> okay, lay it on me. So, some some uh, some stage setting for a little bit here. So they just sort of like they're they're trying to escape, as you mentioned. They're trying to escape the 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 guys from the chop shop, and they stumble into a blues club onto the stage and everybody just sort of stares at them. And Albert Collins says, 
What do you want to go ahead and do that that line? Oh yes, uh, nobody leaves the stage without singing the blues. Nobody gets out of this place without playing the blues. My apologies. You can't leave. I have the new international version of Albert Collins. King James. You, because <laughs> it's important distinction. You can't just leave, not leave the stage. You can't leave this building. Everyone in this place is going to. Which seems like, I mean, I, I assume they close the doors then at like what? 845? Like you don't want just people coming in late into the night because then the, the stage is just overrun and everyone's just like, oh my God, I need to get home, but I have to sing the blues, but people just keep coming in. Am I getting pushed down the roster more? Probably the people from the chop shop come over, you know, because their kids don't go to bed until two in the morning anyway, so they can just play some blues. Well, he does make the, the chop shop guy sing. Or it's inferred. I did enjoy that. Yeah. That there's strict rules, and it makes me think that then Albert Collins is the arbiter of everyone who leaves. <laughs> yeah, that gets a little dark if you follow it too far down. But uh, it was definitely a moment you could tell. Like whoever wrote this was like, I want her to sing blues with uh, these black musicians because it's 1947, and all of them are jazz musicians. Um, but I don't, there's no reason why <laughs> that she would start singing the blues on her own. So I'm just going to have a complete lunatic on stage who does not allow people to leave without singing the blues during his own set. Like you've rudely come onto my stage during my set, but I'm going to force you a bunch of white teenagers to sing the blues. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me get to that. But first a little, a little, Albert Collins background, like Albert Collins is like one of my favorite guitar players, like of when you like go back and, and look at blues, um, like electric Chicago blues. Like he's, he's famous for Chicago blues. I mean, he's famous worldwide, but like, I don't, it's crazy that he's in a movie like this. Cause it's like, <laughs> it'd be like, uh, I can't even make a good comparison. It'd be like Cigaros being in, in, uh, a high school, the musical. Like, it's like, I'm not high school, the musical, the off-brand high school musical high school that's musical. in the bargain bin at Walmart. That goes to show you how in touch I am with the kids. Starring Zeke Lef Leftron. The kids who, by the way, are full-grown adults now who grew up with high school <laughs> musical. Um, but you know what I mean? It's just like, it's not that, that they're not, that he wasn't famous or that people don't know who he is, but it's like a very specific, like, genre-based fame. Um, and like usually like big with blues fans and guitarists, you know, he's like a, like a very influential guitarist, but mostly like, you know, white kids like me, most of us, uh, not to just speak for everybody, but would find him because we, we learned from like, Oh, I like Eric Clapton and Stevie Ray Vaughan. And then those guys are like, Hey, you should listen to these people that I learned from. Right. You, you kind of follow the trail back, which is like, there's nothing wrong with that. But like, that's how people like, uh, that grew up where I grew up in the suburbs, like these kids, um, but like it's very strange that he's the choice. However, he was also like very he was like a very silly guy. Like he was known for like just kind of extemporaneously chatting with the audience and like even uh -huh. like having an enormous guitar cable and he would just like leave. Like there's one and I don't know if it's apocryphal enough for the there's one story where he is like playing and he's like doing a solo. Like he's still playing <laughs> and he like leaves still playing. And the band's still on stage. They're 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 playing along, and then he comes all the way back, and everybody's like, "Oh, where did he go?" Whatever, because he's been doing that kind of crap all night. So everybody just kind of goes with it. 
And then shortly later, like a guy brings in a pizza that he like went next door and ordered like, just like <laughs> a real goofball. Like that's hilarious. And, uh, so that, if you know that aspect of it, it sort of makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. but it's also like most people, I think seeing this movie would be like, who the fuck is that? Uh, am I supposed to know? And why is he forcing this woman yeah. to sing on his stage? But then there's also like the sort of uglier side of it, which is that like, like, like the, the, the it's more of that like city fear thing like that they come in and it's like a room full of black people mostly and then yeah and that's really played up for like yeah and an, just uh, an awkward moment for the movie uh, like a fish out of water like awkward moment of yeah. all these very stern black faces staring back at elizabeth shoe yeah and they just yeah because they just they interrupted the show they walk on a stage and then of course the band stops staying stops playing because what the fuck is happening and then mm-hmm. they just stand there and then everybody just sort of looks at him. And so it's played up like this is going to be dangerous for them. And right. Instead of rightfully being like, get the fuck off my stage. Like, why are you just still standing there? Even if you did walk in accidentally, just like get off. <laughs> right. Instead, you know, it's played for laughs where they, they like make them sing the blues instead. And of course they're like scared of that at first. And the, and the audience is like, kind of like, what, what is this? Um, but then, of course, they they win everybody over because they sing a, the worst song I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I don't like it's one of you know sometimes we watch a lot of like stuff that is not very good for this podcast. But like, there's a special kind of bad that makes you embarrassed to even watch it. Like, just that someone will know that you watch this, and then I'm embarrassed for anyone who's ever taken part in anything having to do with this. I didn't even think it was that bad. That's, I mean, it was intentionally bad. Now I'm embarrassed for you. <laughs> and now we're going to, I mean, I, I, it's part of the plot that it is bad song. So it didn't bother me that much. I didn't wince. It's and not it's terrible. It's not that they can't sing. That's not the problem. The problem is that that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. Either. <laughs> okay. It's just, it's, it was a uh, very bad to me. I, am uh i'm mad that this is in the movie this <laughs> fair enough i don't i think i am a sucker for people singing along to stupid things uh and uh so that won me over i love a sing along i love a coordinated dance i love that garbage that's in movies if this was a more like uh it's obviously like a family movie but it's not really a kids movie as, as much as like the labyrinth is for example I mean, the audience for this is clear, like, not just teenagers, but suburban teenagers. Right. So let's talk about Brad and his love for Chris. Yeah. For a little bit. Sure. So Brad has a crush on Chris. Who wouldn't? And, I mean, it's sort of held over his head. It's a little weird. It's sort of revealed to Chris almost immediately in the movie when they're, when she arrives at the house to babysit. Um, Sarah sort of plays a trick on him while his back is turned, and Chris has entered the room. Uh And Sarah says, you know, I'm going to tell Chris that you uh, write all this poetry about her. And he's like, uh, you know, she says this to get something out of him. And and Brad, you know, said, you know, doesn't deny that he makes poetry. And he's like, no, 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 don't do it. I I won't. I can't remember the the contrived situation they were in. Um, But obviously, like, Chris overhears. And so she knows that Brad has a crush on him. And I kind of, I was of two minds of this part of the movie. Um, 
it felt like the movie kept having him reprofess his love to her uh, throughout the course of the plot. And I was like, I got it. Movie. I got it. it if I couldn't tell what the movie wanted me to feel because they, uh, I don't think they're that apart in age, but he looks like a 15 year old boy and she looks like, you know, an 18 year old girl in this. So you can tell that they are not the same age. They did a good job in casting in that he looks young. He's supposed to be like, like um, a freshman and she's a senior basically. Yeah, I think they say explicitly that he is 15, or maybe they say explicitly Daryl's 15, one of the two. Um, And I couldn't tell what the movie was doing because it gave them a few, like, moments um, where he would stare longingly at her from across the room or where they would have, like, a moment where they're talking to each other and, and, and Brad would, you know, tell her that the guy she's dating at that time, Bradley Whitford, is an asshole. Uh, and I was like, is the movie wanting me to root for these people to get together? Um... And then at the end of the film, she's met a generic um, frat boy. Yeah. I wrote that um, the guy who was not Paul Rudd. Right. Um, the 80s weren't ready for Paul Rudd yet. We didn't get Paul Rudd technology working properly until the 90s. And uh, they sort of, uh, the her and the frat boy reconnect at the very end of the movie. And um, we sort of get a glimpse of, you know, Brad closing the window and, you know, closing the blinds and sort of letting her have her moment rather than like staring longingly at her like a creep. Yeah. Uh, and I thought this was probably my favorite part of the movie. I felt like it was somewhat realistic and it also reminded me of the end of Mrs. Doubtfire where Mrs. Doubtfire sort of plays along in these tropes of a movie where two divorced parents are going to get back together in the end. Yeah. And then it just doesn't do that. Right. Um, and this movie sort of does the same where it follows along on these tropes of like, we're going to get these two together in the end. Um, and part of me is like aware that this is being made by a white guy. Um, I mean, it's not important that he's white. It's being made by a guy. And sometimes that like older girl fantasy creeps into movies in a way that always makes me uncomfortable. And I thought that was going to be the situation here that they were going to have like a weird connection at the end of this movie, but it doesn't do that. And I, and, uh, I thought it was like the more charming part of this movie is a Brad's story of like being a bit of a brat and like sort of holding his crush over this girl, uh, several times in the most like obvious scene is like when they're walking in the park, uh, when Anthony Rapp is trying to pick up a prostitute, um, Brad is telling Elizabeth Shue that she should, you know, sort of the nice guy speech, yes. essentially, which was I have that know, on my checklist, sending off all my red alerts, warning, warning, yeah. Will Robinson. Um, but uh, I think the movie gives Elizabeth Shue her due in that she just sort of like laughs it off and is just like, look, get out of She's here. She's clearly not into um, him or like, yeah, yeah, that way. But I always like I always have my hackles raised with those sort of things in movies because there's a lot of times when movies just like, oh yeah, this would be great if the the older girl got with the younger guy. Or even if they don't get together, like the older girl says some sort of like flirtatious thing with the younger guy. Yeah. And I'm like, ugh, movie, n- this just seems like the director's whacking off and we all have to sit here and watch it. Um, but I, I kind of liked how their story played out. I, I Or am I reading too much into it? No, I, I actually didn't think about it that because I was more focused on the fact that of like her arc that she like went from what was clearly a one-sided toxic relationship with a guy who like was two-faced and was like, cause they, the other, the younger kids, Brad and who's the neighbor kid. I already forgot. 
Daryl. And Daryl, like, talk about how he beat them up and, like, was a real dick. And so she doesn't know about that, maybe, but, like, he's clearly not a good guy. Breaks up with him because he's at, at fancy restaurant with somebody else. And then meets this guy at a frat party, and then they're making out later. I know it's just a movie, but at the same time, we're just like, <laughs> clearly, first of all, give yourself some time girl she's clearly like some time to grieve she's clearly like it's been what like an hour and a half yeah yeah (laughs) and like clearly i mean this guy's not gonna turn out good either like she met him at like a a douchey frat party where and his his best quality was that he was not comparing her to the centerfold yeah exactly uh, this issue's playboy of march mostly because i'm sure march (laughs) you get the idea mostly because i'm sure that he saw that it was bothering her (laughs) did not He's able to read facial yeah. cues. So maybe he's not a sociopath. I don't know. But um, I was more fo- like uh, realizing like, you know, you don't have to. I mean, this is a very like modern, more modern movie approach. It's like, you don't have to end up with a guy. But she's clearly like a romantic. Like, it's like the whole beginning of the movie where she's dancing around talking about, you know, singing along or lip syncing along to. And then he kissed me and talking about she wants to like she wants this. So. Right. I was hoping that she was going to end up with Joe, the carjacking thief. Yeah. Who sort of like has like a, a, a good guy turn about three quarters. I mean, it's heavily hinted throughout yes. the movie in that he's totally on their side over these, these carjacking um, Dick Tracy villains. Yeah. Um, but like he is also a little bit more flirtatious and seems yes. like a cooler guy than any of the other guys she runs into. But this movie is not about to have an interracial relationship with the suburban girl and a carjacking no, thief. Absolutely not. Um, but Joe was by far the most interesting guy. And honestly, the cutest guy she ran into in the, in the movie. And uh, he just seemed like a plot device. Yeah. He was a, he was a way to get them out of trouble and, you know, yeah, he was always there whenever they were in a situation too tight to get out of. Joe was there to punch a mobster in the face, thereby signing his death warrant. Although also, we get, we do get some some uh, help from lunatic tow truck driver. <laughs> right, when when Joe's not there, the lunatic hook-handed tow truck driver is, all, is there instead. So yeah, T tells him they got to go get their uh, truck from your friend. Oh wait, hold on, before before we go to that. Please. We don't have to like touch on this yet, but I can't believe that you yada yada the reason that they were that uh Sarah tricked Kenny into Kenny to kid tricked Brad into confessing about his poetry right in front of Chris. Oh, what was the reason? Was because he said Thor's a homo. Oh right. I did write down <laughs> Thor is a homo, and I underscored is. Because uh, he is the gayest of the Marvel uh heroes, at least in this movie universe. He's not wearing sleeves. He's got mommy issues. I mean, he's definitely the one that I'd be like, what's Thor up to recently? <laughs> well, I mean, I would too, given the actor who plays him. <laughs> what's up? Everyone should just be wondering, where's Thor? What's Thor doing? <laughs> oh, and I just want to say, yeah, I did register. I mean, I can't just spend my entire time talking about the uh, rampant homophobia in 80s movies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we like... The fact that it only has one line denigrating my entire personhood is just like, wow, this is a pretty accepting eighties movie. Yeah. It's, it's like, I, I, I have a checklist, that whole checklist we'll talk about that. That was the first thing that was like, Oh, okay. We're, we're in for a, an eighties movie because you know, like it's almost surprising when they don't 
have these type of like horrible <laughs> right. stereotypes or denigration or discrimination, you know, like that kind of discriminatory. You're just like, oh, someone must have a gay son. Right. So yeah. They can't get away with it. Well, and that's a good example. Like for having just watched um, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, like that was surprisingly free of them, but it was just long enough later. Like it was 91 versus 87. Whereas like there's a big difference in like, Awareness. yeah, not, not that every movie even now is free of that kind of thing. But like, but like just that there's a big difference in that age, like between 87 and 91 of like how society views that sort of thing. And it like, it's not exactly an upward trend either. It's not a straight line. Nothing, no switch flipped on when 1990 hit, but it is different. You also don't call. I just assume there was a gay person on staff on don't tell mom. <laughs> totally possible. <laughs> oh, Greg's here. We can't do it. Cut the line out. Well, we get uh, the, the, the kids, they all escape from the hospital and they go to see, they go to get their car from... Right. The movie just sort of says, ah, you know what? Let's get back to the car business. And the the truck driver pops out from the hospital after the gang fight, after the one stitch, which was my favorite line in the hospital scene was like, there you go. One stitch. You're all better. <laughs> and the kid's like, one stitch. He was so angry that his one chance to be in a gang fight and he ends up with just one stitch. Um, but uh, the truck driver pops out of Act 1 into Act 2 and says, hey, I'm here to take you back to the car. Got the car story going again. But there, um, And says, uh, I fixed your windshield for free, but you're going to have to pay for the tire. You're going to have to pay 50 bucks um, to do it. Which is $2,500 in today's dollars. That blew me away. I did write in my notes, was Vincent D'Onofrio hot? I did not see that coming. Um, I got to be honest. In this movie, yes. Yes, he is. He's jacked. Shredded. He's jacked. He's svelte. He's got long blonde hair. It's uh, just scratching all those itches for me. Yeah, I mean, I know you already liked the way he looked as the kingpin in the Daredevil series. So, oh well, yeah, this is just more of the same. Another a different itch, different style yeah. itch, but also scratch. Mostly because he looked like a big fat penis in his later right. days. I'll tell you what, he was getting me Dinoff. Okay, Rio. Okay. Is that enough? Is that good? Judges say no. You're going to have to try again. Oh, it's that East German judge. He's always getting me. He did also like, have a great entrance because he comes down on like a car lift. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there's smoke. Yeah. And like, again, with the sparks flying everywhere, he's got a giant hammer in his hand yeah. so that you don't miss the connection. Yeah. Um, and immediately Sarah is like Thor, the God of thunder. And she bows before him. I thought that was really cute. Um, actually, that whole scene. <laughs> I thought that was cute. Uh, the second time it did give me a uh, hot eyes a little bit. Um, I've had a stressful day yeah. though. So yeah. I can't attribute it fully Fair to enough. the movie. Um, but it was, I was, I, I don't know. There were a few threads in this movie that seemed like running gags, except there was never like a joke right. and there was never really a payoff. So I was like, was that a plot thread or a running gag? Cause either way it wasn't working for me. Um, one of the running gags in this movie is that Elizabeth shoe looks like Mrs. March or not Mrs. March. My apologies. Miss March from, um, from that that month's Playboy, yeah, uh, Mrs. Ma March, of course, is her mother, right. uh, but Miss March is the centerfold for that Playboy. Um, and I think the action, I think it's actually just Elizabeth Shue and a bunch of you know gauzy uh, lingerie and and some Vaseline on the lens for the for the quick shots you get of Miss March. And it's always this sort of through line, and I'm always waiting for a payoff in this. 
and it never really pays off. It's just people like sort of doing double takes when they see her yeah. or at the frat party. That's how uh, one of the frat guys goes, I can't believe it. She's here. And then that's it. Yeah. But there's never really like an actual punchline or like joke. Like, why did we do that? There's just sort of like, it feels like a lead up to a joke and then it just sort of wanders off. And uh, I thought that for the Thor thing, the first time I watched it, but rewatching it, I have to hand it to the Vincent D'Onofrio scene. That actually does kind of pay yeah. off. The Playboy thing doesn't, I mean, other than the fact that the Playboy is kind of a, a MacGuffin of a little bit because they end up from the office where in the chop shop where they're like put up there just to like be prisoners basically until they come up and kill them or whatever. And uh, Daryl steals a Playboy and he had had a Playboy earlier that Brad threw out the window. And it, in that Playboy is like some special instructions for their next, I don't know, car chopping. Which, which seems ludicrous, but then I remembered that I my last will and testament is written on the March 1987 issue of a Playboy centerfold. So I gotta, I can't be angry yeah, at them. Yeah, it just makes sense. I like to keep my driver's license in a, a, a penthouse just to like, you don't want to pay the pages to stick together. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So yeah, the, the, you're right. The playboy is the, the MacGuffin of the movie. Uh, Anthony Rapp brings a playboy into, in, onto the ride with them. Um, and then it's thrown out the window promptly, uh, in act one. And they find the same playboy in act two and he grabs it again. And that yeah. is the thing that all the mobsters are chasing them out of. And I don't know if post-it notes have been invented, right? At this point <laughs> in human history. Yes, I believe so. Um, but anyway, why don't you recap? What, uh, why don't you re-recap, uh, the, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio scene? So he looks like Thor and the girl, um, wins him over. Yeah. By That's her basically it. They don't have their full $50. They only have 45 and through, she says she'll give him her helmet because he doesn't. He's wearing a hat because he's not Thor, um, and that charms him finally, and he lets them go. Um, that's basically it. It's very cute. Um, did you kind of want him to put on the helmet though? I did, kind of, but for the full effect. Yeah, but I, yeah, I think they handled it fine. That was good. Um, <laughs> I have a couple of quotes before my final thing. Please do. Big sk- He calls somebody one of the gang. He calls him a big city scum sucker. <laughs> yes, I remember that. It reminded me of those old Orbitz gum yeah. commercials where someone calls someone a limp yeah. licker. You lily belly lit licker. And then uh <laughs> something I'm gonna use, which is basically a, a Buster Bluth line, uh at when they're on their way home, the uh Sarah goes, Man, am I up late? <laughs> <laughs> We're just blowing through nap time here. <laughs> I did like um, that last uh, section where they they have everything they need. They're finally heading home, and they're actually somewhat racing the parents home because they end up at the party the parents are at. And then they're sort of racing to get home before the parents so they can convincingly seem uh, like they've been home the whole yeah. time. Uh, except little do they know that these parents always touch the hood of the car of their babysitter before they enter the house. So they always know. I'm just kidding. It doesn't happen. <laughs> you smell uh, recent exhaust. <laughs> Your car made that weird clicking sound that sometimes happens after you've stopped it. Uh, but uh, that was back to uh, 25 miles to go by Eddie Starr. Is that who sings that? I think so. Um used more effectively because it's got, uh, you know, you're counting in the song counts down the miles as he's trying to get back to his girlfriend. So it makes sense that that would be the song they play makes less sense in act one as they're heading towards an undetermined destination. (laughs) Um, Boy, you noticed that more than I did. (laughs) 
I well, the second time I watched it, I was like, why are you playing this here? It seems so ludicrous. Um, but it was it, it did it was very reminiscent of Ferris Bueller, yeah. you know, racing uh racing his own parents home. Um, and I actually is Ferris Bueller first? I think so. I want to say that was 86. Let's find out. 86. Look at that. Look at you. Who directed Ferris Bueller? Uh, is that John, right Hughes? John Hughes? John Hughes. This is not John Hughes, but it, it's strong John Hughes vibes. Yeah, it's hard to do that. Like a movie in the 80s set in Chicago. With teenagers. Yeah, they must be. Going on hijinks. Are, are they like buddies? They seem like they must be just like buddies. Christopher Columbus. Now. I have no idea. Well, Christopher Columbus directed Home Alone. Yeah. which is written by John Hughes, but I don't know if they have an actual relationship or if it's just, you know, John Hughes writes fucking movies and Chris Columbus directs movies. Yeah. Fucking movies. My apologies. Um, can I get to my, uh, uh, isms check? Do you have a big one? Yeah, I got it. Oh yeah. 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 By all means. The, here's just the problematic things that appear in this movie. Um, and you know, like we said, we, we give, movies of this era, not a pass, but like, we kind of like don't want to dwell on it too much because it's like, it's of the era, but at the same time we have to call it. How are they to know? It's just gay people dying of AIDS. So call Thor a homo. Go yeah, for it. Yeah, don't worry about it. So that's the first one, homophobia. We get immediate sexism because, uh, Daryl is like immediately objectifying Chris in like gross ways. Or and he's, he's talking about, actually he's talking about Miss March too, or somebody he's talking about their big, Boobs, he says. Tits. Yeah. Um, and then he also makes Boobs. a rape joke. What was the rape joke? I don't remember. Um, well, she says if you, uh, she's like threatening them once they've sort of twisted her arm to take them to Chicago. Yeah. She's like, you all have to be on your best behavior or I will kill you. I will stab you. And then Anthony Rapp goes, and this is more upsetting knowing the Kevin Spacey story. He says, you'll, you'll rape us like in a coy way. And I'm like, oh, yeah. movie, no. We also get some like, not to ca- hold on. I'd <laughs> be clear. It's only awkward because of the situation. Anthony Rapp is blameless in that. I just want to say it's just an awkward line, knowing yeah, the right. History. Yeah, yeah. There's of course like uh, immediate classism, like being anti like the the homeless people that are like, uh, or the people that are like kind of living at the bus station. Who knows what their yeah. situations? But the guy says he like lives in the phone booth and stuff, and like it's just gross. We're not like concerned about their safety or anything, and, and like it's played for laughs, but it's also like okay. And then we're like immediately racist with the car thief and the chop shop, and then the every black person in this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And I I put this on there, but uh, maybe not as problematic for you. But the musical crimes. Um, <laughs> And isn't that the real travesty of this? Sorry, racism. Yeah. We have to talk about the musical crimes. Yeah, let me let me spend another uh, forty five minutes talking about that. <laughs> Yelling at me about Albert Collins. <laughs> We've also got the uh, nice guy BS, which we touched on that that uh, Brad falls into. Right. Although I would push back and say I feel like the movie. No, I will say the movie doesn't get Brad doesn't get what he wants. So I feel like the I feel like the movie. I don't think explicitly pushes back on yeah. that, but keeps it at a good arm's length. Uh, yeah, he pulls that nice guy shit, but he doesn't end up with the girl. And I think he learns to appreciate that she has a choice to make. And, uh, and he's also like, and he's also like 15 and, you know, he's, he's like being kind of whiny and like, yeah. And that happens. You know what I mean? Like not the- he thinks tires cost 50 cents with a fucking yeah. moron. Uh, we also get some sex worker shaming, you know, uh, true. We also get, uh, 
pretty close to statutory rape because (laughs) at the college party, the 15 year old is making out with us like a 20 something. I completely forgot about that. So those are my, my checkboxes there. Uh, it was a, you know, on, um, problematic bingo in the eighties. Like, I don't know if I got bingo, but I got close. (laughs) You'd want to play one more game. I'd get my little uh, those little stamper things. I'd get one of those. And I'd be ready. When Ethel said bingo, you'd be like, you'd hope that the judge would find that she had picked the yeah. wrong one because you're so I'm close. so close. Just give me one more to getting that that those Epsom salts. <laughs> Epsom salts. I mean, I got all my big points. So if you want to go to the verdict, or if you've got one one uh, one sweet Damon like choice, you're saving for your last remark. Say it now. I'm out. Go fish. Now nah, we're good. Let's go to the verdict. DJ. Oh. See what I mean? Uh, yeah. Lay it on us. What do you think of the movie? Um, so immediately we get like having just recently watched uh don't tell mom the babysitter's dead and labyrinth this is our you know babysitting uh trilogy of movies that we're doing here we get immediately more character development than happens in any of those movies like like (laughs) dancing around very charmingly we get the little girl who's like got she has an ethos you know what i mean and we get uh brad who's like he's like the lovesick teenager we get daryl who's very annoying but you can tell like what his character is like and so that was refreshing, but then I'm going to have to push back on that. I mean, uh, don't tell mom, the babysitters that you had a uh, boy who's stoner. You had girl who shops. Those are strong <laughs> character developments. You had David Bowie's character in labyrinth who, who refuses to be constrained by pieces. I mean, these are characters. <laughs> these are classic archetypical characters. Yeah. And I, I, David Bowie has, penis, <laughs> which is my favorite fifties Western. <laughs> Uh, I mean, to be fair, as penis will labyrinth. To be fair, like Daryl is almost more of a trope than a character, but like it's still like annoying. Yeah, labor. right. But it's it's sort of like laid out. Uh, it was it was pretty refreshing in that sense. Um, and even like the like even though it's stereotypical and and problematic, like you get some character from like Joe the the car thief and like you know like you get. Some, Albert, the blues singer. Yeah, you get some like you get some character from these folks. Even like the the archetypical villain, like has some quirks that are kind of like, what's this guy's deal? Oh yeah, we never even really touched on. Yeah, him. so there's like a boss guy who's obviously Tyler said when we were watching, he's like, do you think this guy looks at Steve Buscemi and says that could have been me? <laughs> no, I think he's good. Very lizard like. Uh, yes, but I got to be honest. That's about where the good stuff ends for me, and the rest of it is all bad. Usually, like I said, the kind of grain of salt with movies of this era, but just because you're like, well, it's a movie from 1987. It was a different time. Like, not that you don't grade on a curve, but you also kind of like recognize that you, it's not going to kind of like check all your, uh, you know, PC boxes or whatever. But this was too many. This was too many uh, for me to sort of just immediately get over or give the give the film a break. We knew that there were different sexes in the eighties, <laughs> and you had to be treating them equally. <laughs> um, and you kind of defined what I was missing, and I didn't even realize it until you said it. With like, you're welcome. The, the Brenda kind of 
B, B story being like more wacky and sort of what I wanted. I, and obviously in very small snippets, but this movie is just kind of like a bunch of kids in peril. Uh, and it's not, there are funny moments and it's not like a serious movie by any means, but it is kind of like more like, I don't know. I wasn't following it as much. And honestly, I might come down more in the middle if it weren't for the, uh, the Albert Collins scene, if I'm being honest. <laughs> uh, you're racism is one thing, but yeah. blues, babysitter blues, blues, get the fuck out of here. Your child is an idiot. Uh, yeah, I think I, uh, maybe over the played my hand on the Brenda thing, but yeah, that's my big thing on this as well. Um, is that I, there's the energy of this movie. I really yeah. like the, and this movie. Like if you described it to me, I would say, Oh yeah, that's going to scratch my itch of just like normal kids who I can relate to is also being a, a kid who grew up in the suburbs. They, they're never really like, it never crosses over. Like the plot is sort of silly, but I rarely laugh at plot developments. I can appreciate like how zany a plot is, yeah. but there's never like, there's never jokes like hung on that, that plot. Um, so it never seems to like rise to that sort of charm that I thought it would be at. So I, I just, there, there's something just never quite gelled while I watched this. Uh, it felt like the movie sort of, once they get into the city, they get into zany predicaments. And those like predicaments are immediately at 10. The, the first person right. they meet immediately drives a semi tractor trailer into a neighborhood to shoot the man who's fucking his wife. And I was like, whoa, this is where we start. Yeah. I can't wait to see where we go. And then we go into like chop shops and then we go into blues, uh, blues halls and we go into all these sort of lesser things. And I feel like the movie can't maintain this, like this momentum or this zaniness that, that I think is promised. And so I just can't, I don't hate this movie, but I don't. I never really like connected to this movie. And I think if I saw this movie when I was a young suburban kid who thought the movie uh, that this, that cities were cesspools right. or something. Um, or if I was Rudy Giuliani saying, we got to clean up this town, which is a weird reference to make to Judy, Julie Giuliani today. Yeah. Like when you think about it, I'm like, Oh, that's like 600 years ago when he was just like, Oh, he's a Republican that cleaned up Times Square. No, now he's like a fucking lunatic vampire he was, who's killing. Democracy. He was racist, but in an acceptable way. <laughs> <laughs> right. In a way that adventures in babysitting could respect. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the racism of it, I think it just leaves the, 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 the few zany sort of, uh, you know, odyssey through the city moments just sort of leave a bad taste in your mouth where, where everyone they encounter are gangsters, car thieves, blues music. I just can't get over the blues position. <laughs> um, just thing. throw those in with um, those other things. Like, it's just so car weird. thieves and blues musicians. Well, I don't, I'm not equating those two. The movie it's is. just such like a dated, a, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, it's like a dated view of of people of color of yeah. like, oh yeah, they love the blues and they love stealing cars. Um, so I could never just quite get on board. I feel like this movie was always just right on the verge of like winning me yeah. over, maybe. Like if, but it just felt like something was missing. Whether it was like actual jokes, um, a little bit more like amping up the zaniness, like start low and then go go all in by Act Three, but just something never quite coalesced into something that I I really could get into. So um, it's very close for me, but I'd have to say your inner child is an idiot. Boom. I mean, if it, I feel like. Uh... 
I was I was ready to be annoyed by the little girl because I usually am in these types of movies. Oh no, she's actually she's very like charming. She the might be highlight of the movie. movie. She's you know not only just like really good acting for a child actor, but also like she's very charming and very quirky and like fun. And the whole Thor thing is just like like it's more it's a less out of left field now because of how popular the Marvel movies are. But yeah, like as you mentioned, like eighty seven being a huge Thor fan is like what. How would a, even, a little girl even, not that it wasn't a comic book and, you know, there were Thor fans, but it's like a very like fun, quirky choice. And uh, yeah, it's it's a deep cut yeah. at the time. It's like being a huge, super huge fan of Namor the Submariner, you know, Submariner. Yeah. I always read it. I think it's Submariner. I think it's Submariner, but I always read it. So I just, you know, it's one of those things where like the first no, time I, I said chassis out loud, I said chassis because I had only read it. And then everybody just looked at me and I was like, I said that wrong, didn't I? Um, but you know, like the sad thing is that you were building cars at yeah. the time. You were working in a chop yeah. shop. But oh yeah, the but chassis. to be in my defense, there were sparks every everywhere. <laughs> uh, what do you think, everybody? Email us your inner idiot at gmail.com. You can call us and leave us a message, 615-576-0525. Uh leave some message, we'll play it on the show. Uh, you can find us on all the social medias, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. You can become a supporter of the show. At patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. We want to thank our current patrons, including the Zesty, the supreme ruler of this podcast, the mysterious T. Smith, Primordial Burrito, Lil Flick, Lindsay Nell, Larissa Maestro, Karen Curd, Just Cuz, Joshua Nicholson, Jonathan Day, Jeremy T. Powlin, Jacob Grimm, Honor the Mayor, Dramatically Placed Hot Dog, and McIntyre, Demon's Australian accent. Christine in Brooklyn. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. If you want to become a patron like them, patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. I think you know exactly what we need to do to to play ourselves out. Uh, Uh, um, I can't remember what she says. (laughs) I don't remember the words. Because this movie is... Kind of forgettable despite me watching it twice. No one leaves without playing the booze. What is it again? Nobody leaves. Nobody gets out of this place without playing the blues. Maybe it's like a sort of like a in your heart. No one leaves without being. Oh, no. What I like about guitars that aren't plugged in, it's like hearing your hearing you play guitar in the bottom of a canyon. <laughs> um, At least DJ's got something to do down there because it's going to be days before we can rescue him. <laughs> oh God, I hated that a lot. You hated the movie, the the blues part. Oh yeah, I know, I know. <laughs>